If you have your bulletin today, you have our theme for 2022. It's Psalms 143, verse number 10. If you have it, read it with me, would you please? Uh, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me to the land of uprightness. Let's try it one more time. Some of you are scurrying around. Psalm 143, verse number 10. Are you ready? Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is lead me to the land of uprightness. Uh, Nothing like the Holy Spirit of God to help us do the right thing. And God's word majors on righteousness. Matter of fact, when we talked today, I had seven people in discipleship this morning, and uh, some folks were trying to get there, but just had to slip and slide to get there. But boy, I'm telling you, I love discipleship. We talked about the Word of God. If you have not taken that lesson tonight at uh, 5 o'clock, you can take it right over here in this overflow room or 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening. It's a great lesson on why did God give us the Bible. But he gave us the Bible so we would know what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's just kind of the quick, because God majors on righteousness, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the God of all the earth is righteous. He does the right thing. He's never made a mistake. He's good, and he's always right. And everything that's ever happened to you, sometimes I have been guilty of this, and I'm sure you have. We take and forget all the things that God has done for us. And then we, we maybe get frustrated with him for a few things that have been done to us. We focus, on the th- all, we focus on the things done to us instead of enjoying and reflecting and praising God for all the things he has done for us. And God is a good God, and I'm thankful for that. His spirit is good, and he's there to lead me into the land of uprightness. Tonight we'll be talking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I can't wait for the service tonight. If you can only come to the morning or night, I would suggest you come to the night service tonight. It's unbelievable. I'm looking forward to that this evening at 6 o'clock. But today we're in Acts chapter 13. And we have taken the time to go through the book of Acts. We find ourselves in the last few verses of chapter 13. And the book of Acts is a book of action. And it's, it's acts is a good, it's not really the acts of the apostles, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers that have been left on the planet after Jesus goes back to heaven. If you break down the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts, you'll find in chapter 1, Jesus goes up. In chapter 2, his spirit comes down. In chapter 3 and following, his people go out. They go out and begin telling people about the, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the gospel being infused with God's spirit. And by the way, if you and I are spirit-filled, we'll want to talk to someone else about the Lord. In chapter 4, persecution comes and uh, the disciples are imprisoned. And then they're threatened and sent home and the church, rather than complain, they praise and begin to pray together in chapter number four. Chapter number five, the Lord purges his church. God wants, a, he wants a pure people. And in the church, that new church, there were a couple folks that were dishonest. They were stealing. But they weren't really stealing, they were lying. It was time for the offering, and they said, well, we sold this property, and we got this much money, and here's what we're bringing to give to the Lord, because it became a little popular in that time to give something, but it wasn't true. And the Lord dealt with them very, very firmly. And uh, from that, boy, the church got a little bit serious, and they kept going out soul winning. Chapter 6, there was needs that began to arise, and they enlisted workers, additional men that would help them. 
And that was when Stephen and Prochorus and some other folks, uh, let's see here, Philip was also chosen in chapter 6 to do the work of God because as the work of God expands, more things are needed and every member should be a minister. If you don't have a job to do for God, you need one. Everybody ought to have something you're doing for the Lord. You say, Pastor, I need to do something for the Lord. You see me. Uh, see, see us. We can help you with that. Everybody ought to have something they do with God. And, you know, I don't know. Every once in a while I've heard men, and, and maybe I've even said it too. Well, I want to do great things for God. Quite frankly, I want to just be with God when he does great things. <laughs> We're laborers together with him. And his, it's his work. I'm not interested in doing great things for God. I certainly want to be used of God. And uh, I remember when I was uh, raising children and my kids were smaller, boy, I, well, I started getting my shoes on. And boy, some little kid who can't even talk comes around to me and goes, I go, I go. They find their shoes. They're scurrying around, find their shoes. I go. They don't even know where I'm going. They just want to go. I'm going to get in the car. They know this. Daddy has money. They're broke, you know. Daddy knows how to drive. They don't know how to drive. Daddy goes to 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts, they want to go. <laughs> That's why they know that Daddy's going to go. And you know, the truth of the matter is, when God puts his shoes on, you ought to scurry around and find your shoes, too. And you ought to say, if, Lord, you're doing something, I want to be with you. I want to partner with you. I don't want to be by myself trying to slug it out. I want to do things with God. And in chapter 6, the church enlists some more workers. Chapter 7, one of those main workers, Stephen, was uh, accosted and taken outside the city streets and while he was waiting to be stoned and to be martyred in the church, he gave a gospel message, and it was powerful. It was used of God, and some people turned to the Lord. Some people got even more mad at the, the gospel and at the church. And in chapter 8, as a result of the stoning of, of Stephen, it was necessary that some of the church leave their homes in Jerusalem and go other places to get away from the Jewish police who are looking for them and trying to, to continue to the persecution. Well, Philip, I don't know if he took his wife and four daughters. He did have four daughters and he did have a wife. And I don't know if he took them with him or he just left Jerusalem. But he went up into Samaria and began to minister there and tell people about Christ. And lots of Samaritans came to know Jesus Christ. In the middle of that great revival that was visited by Peter and John, um, the Bible tells us that God told Philip, go out into the North African highway, go out to the desert uh, area of Gaza. He went out there and he found one man from Ethiopia, uh, an African man who was reading a scroll in the back of his chariot or his stagecoach. And the Lord said, go over there and see him. And he went over and saw him. And he said, sir, do you understand what you're reading? He said, I don't understand the Bible. How can I understand the Bible unless someone explains it to me? So you understand? He said, yes, I do. And he and Philip got up in the, in the wagon and began sharing the gospel of Christ until that man accepted Christ and then followed the Lord in baptism. It's a beautiful story. In chapter 9, the nemesis of the early church, Saul of Tarshish, the, the, the Pharisee of Pharisee, the man who was a tribe of Benjamin, a fellow who, who uh, was a Jew of Jews and a Judaizer, has come now face to face with Jesus and he confronts him face to face, and it's not even a match. Uh, he falls at his face and says, all right, Lord, who are you, and what do you want me to do? Boy, that's good things we ought to find out. Who is God to us, and what does God want me to do? Uh, that's a good question. He asked him, and he spent the rest of his life doing what God wanted him to do. 
He will come off the pages of the Bible for a few chapters while Peter will take precedence. And Peter had to learn that the Gentiles matter to God, not just the Jews. In chapter 10, he's, he's learning that the Gentiles matter. He uses a soldier boy named Cornelius to teach him that. And Cornelius is a, is a, a man who is religious, but he's lost. He doesn't have a complete information from the Bible. And so God uses uh, his searching for the, for the God of the Bible to send Peter there. And in chapter 10, he learns that, that uh, the Gentiles matter, not just the Jews. And in chapter 11, the church as a whole learned that Gentiles matter. And God moves sign of the headquarters of the church from Jerusalem for the time being up to a place called Antioch. And that becomes the headquarters of that. And then, of course, in chapter number 12, we find that that Herod turns up the persecution. He kills James, the, the disciple that uh, probably pastored the church of Jerusalem. He had him arrested and then be, had him beheaded. And when he found out that that made some of the people that he was governing happy, he went and arrested Peter too. And that's when the church began to pray. And we see the power of prayer in chapter number 12. And uh, God releases Peter from jail. And the church continues on. And then we find that Saul comes back on the picture because Barnabas goes and gets Saul and takes him to that church up in Antioch, an international church, a church that has five main pastors and assistant pastors that work there. They're diverse. One of them is, uh, is most likely an African uh, a man. And we've got Saul. We've got a fellow who was raised with Herod the Tetrarch that was there. And Barnabas, a very great and encouraging. And God put their gifts there together in that local church. And they were a gifted church. They were a spirit-filled church. They were a soul-winning church. And they were a sending church. And they began uh, to listen to the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit said, I want you to leave I want you to have Saul, two of your, your pastors there, I want them to leave the church at Antioch. I'm sure no one wanted that. Saul was knowledgeable and very good at preaching the word of God. Barnabas was Mr. Encouragement. His name wasn't even Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but they called him Barney. No, I'm just joking. Uh, they called him Barnabas because he was, uh, he was such an encouragement. His name meant son of consolation. This guy, wherever he goes, he makes good things a lot better. But God says, well, he needs to go somewhere else. And so we're going to leave. He's going to leave there. And they agreed with the Holy Spirit of God. They prayed. They laid hands on them. They supported them. And they went and got tickets from Antioch. And now they're going to go to a little a sea voyage over to the, the island of, of Cyprus. And, and then from there, going to go up into Pamphylia and to Perga and other places. I want you to see a little bit that. We're kind of getting caught up because we've kind of taken a, a, about a month and a half off as we went through the Christmas season. But look at this map real quickly, and you'll see this. I think we can see it on there. You can see Antioch is on to the right. Jerusalem is about 130 miles south of Antioch there. But Seleucia and, uh, and, and Antioch, and that is the church in Antioch that sent out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Well, they go down to the seaport city of Seleucia, and then they catch over and get a little boat ride down to the island of Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is the island where Barnabas is from. Barnabas is from Cyprus. And so they start at the northern part of the island in Salmaeus, and they come down to the middle and finish up the work down in Paphos. And then the, when they go through the whole island, and they're going soul winning. They're going from village to village, telling people about Jesus Christ. 
At the time, there are three people with them. There are three people right now that we know for sure. There may have been some others, but Paul is one, Barnabas is the other, and then Barnabas's nephew, John Mark, is with them. And three of them are going down, being sent out of the church of Antioch, going down through the island of Cyprus. Well, they get down to the end, and then they, make, they take, take a boat ride up to Perga. See Perga there? And, and uh, they go up that direction. And when they get to that area, it's called Pamphylia. John Mark, the young man who has gone along to serve them and listen and help them, I don't know what happens, but he says, uh, I think I'm going back to Jerusalem. He, his mom, is, she owns a large house in Jerusalem. The early church spent the time praying the night that Peter was in jail. And uh, it, was, uh, it was where Rhoda was staying there with them. And he, uh, he's a, probably a rich boy that lives in the, in the inner city there. And now he's out there and there's not even a good Motel 6. And he's struggling a little bit maybe. I don't know. Or Barnabas, his uncle, was always, it was Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. But the first time in the Bible where you see it's Paul and his company. Now Paul is in charge. The next verse tells us that John Mark said, you know, I think I'm out. I don't know what happened, but I do know this. It bothered, it bothered Paul. It really fired him up. He saw disloyalty or he saw the, the, the issue there and it bothered, it bothered him. He said, okay, you know, that's, that's fine. You can go. And, uh, and then, of course, they went and they went on together on that. We'll go back to our map if we can, please. And then you'll see they went up. Uh, from Perga, they witnessed there, and then they made their way up to Antioch of Pasea. That is two different Antiochs. It's two different, it would be like, you know, there's sometimes you have a, maybe a Hammond, Indiana, but you also have a Hammond, Louisiana. You know, it's a, a Hammond, Missouri, or something of that nature. It's, a, it's the same name of a town, but in a different area. Obviously, that's over in Asia and Galatia. And then they're going to make their way on their journeys to Iconium and Lystra. That's where he is stoned. And then to Derbe. And then they go back into those same areas and confirm souls and disciple converts. And then they'll eventually make their way back to the church at Antioch to give reports about what God is doing. And then they'll also go down to Jerusalem as well. Well, that's a little bit of the story. We're kind of getting caught up on that. We're looking at chapter 13. In chapter 13, we see that Paul and Barnabas are sent out John Mark leaves them in Pamphylia. Now they go to Antioch of Poseida, and there they go to the synagogue of the Jews. And, and there are not just Jewish people there. There are Greeks there. There are interested proselytes who are people who are, who are interested, and in they're thinking about uh, accepting the God of the Bible. And so they're there, and they're Gentiles. And uh, while they speak... And uh, Paul gives them a great message. He goes back into the Old Testament and talks about uh, Psalms, and he talks about Isaiah, and he talks about Amos, and he begins to open up the Bible to these people. And at the end of his message, people, some people believe, and some people got fired up. It's the kind of way it was. When Paul brought the gospel, sometimes it brings a revival, sometimes it brings a riot, and oftentimes it was a riot. But nonetheless, he preaches, and whenever he finishes his message, we'll see what happens. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. You got your Bibles there? Thank you for following along with me, and let's look at this if we can, please. And then we'll take some lessons from this passage of Scripture. If you don't mind, let's pick up with verse number 38, where the Bible says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, after he finishes his message, this is his invitation, that, that uh, through the man that is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And I'm talking to you about Jesus Christ who can forgive sins. And by him, verse 39, 
All that believe are justified from all things. Aren't you glad to be saved? All you must do is believe. It's not you're by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By believing, you can, you can have these things from which you would, could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's teaching them it's not by works of the law. It is by grace through faith in Jesus. Beware, therefore, lest that... Uh, that come upon you, which is spoken of the apostles. Verse number 41, behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days. He quotes the, the Old Testament, a work which ye have no wise believed, though a man declared unto you. So he's finishing up his invitation here. Verse 42, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them on the next Sabbath day. So whenever they broke up the meeting on that Saturday afternoon there at the synagogue on that Sabbath day, folks left. The Gentiles, the folks that were not Jews who heard the message, they said, hey, can you come back next week? Can you tell us more from the word of God? Can you, can you give us more information about that? Look, if you would, please, in verse 43. And when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Don't get caught up in working your way to heaven. Stay in the grace of God and keep learning more about God's grace. Verse number 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. And when the, when, when the Jews saw that the multitudes, they were filled with what? Envy. They were upset because now they have a larger audience and many of the people are listening to them and, the, and uh, some of the leaders there. And they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul. So what Paul was saying, they were contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, and they said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you as Jewish people. And uh, we see in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, a very classic verse, where the Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. And the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, he came into his own, the Jewish people. But his own, but as many as received him. To them gave you power to become the same children of God by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, this, it was just right that you hear the gospel of God first. And so, in boldness, they spoke to that. But look, if you would please, at verse number 46. First, have been spoken unto you, but... Uh, seeing that ye put it from you, you have not accepted it, you have rejected it. Judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. You've decided that you don't want it and you don't want eternal life because of it. Lo, we turn to who? The Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish. Then verse 47 says, For so hath the Lord uh, command, uh, commanded us, saying, I have set thee in the, in the, as a light in the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for the salvation to the ends of the earth. He is quoting Isaiah 49 and Isaiah chapter 42, referencing that. Verse number 48, read it out loud with me, would you please? And when the Gentiles heard this, And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord, verse 49, was published throughout all the region. I want to notice a couple things real quickly. Why did God give us the Bible? 
Well, he gave us the Bible for several reasons. Number one, so that our faith would grow. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I think the primary purpose of the Bible is so that we can know how to get to heaven from here. So we can have the faith to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason you and I have asked Christ to save us is because somewhere along the line in our life, someone showed us the Bible. And the word of God brought us faith to cry out to a God and accept his gift of eternal life. If you haven't done that, I hope you'll do that today. And you'll do it from the word of God. The second reason the Bible is to teach us how to live after we know number one. John 10.10, the Bible says, I've come that you might have life and have it. More abundantly. God doesn't want you to live a defeated everyday life. And I find you study people and you're going to find people that love the Lord, love the Bible, are going to have more successful lives than those who do not. I'm not saying they're most, they're more, they're the wealthiest people. I'm just telling you, you're going to find there's something about what you and I do with the Bible will determine what God does with us. You have issues with communication. I have issues with communication. But here's what I find out. When I learn the word of God, it teaches me. The entrance of God's word bringeth light. It bringeth understanding to the simple. And so people need to hear the word of God. And God gave it to us. And he's given us examples. I don't know exactly why God put all the narrative in the scriptures. But this book of Acts is a narrative. It's telling us the history of the early church. And there are things that we can take in our day in 2022 and apply them very firmly and very with understanding to our everyday life. I want to notice a couple things real quickly from what we see in this passage of Scripture. I want you to notice, first of all, that in this passage we can learn that there, are, there is an audience of people who want to know what the Bible says. There are. There are people that live in your neighborhood, that work at your workplace. There are people that you're going to meet this week that if given the opportunity, they want to hear more. I see it all over. Oftentimes we think, oh, this world's so wicked. No one wants to know. Everybody's so wicked. No, no, no. The darker the night, the brighter the light. I want you to know whether you've been saved for one week or two weeks or 20, 20 years or three decades, God will put someone, there's someone in your sphere of influence that would listen to the word of God, and they want to know. I have seen it enough times, and I'm embarrassed, because oftentimes I have not been sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God when, when someone's ready to listen. But there are people, not only locally, but globally. Say, Pastor, why do we do missions every week, and why do we give to missions, and why do we show those missionary? But you know why? Because the world has places that need to know and they want to know. You know, there's people in Iran who've been worshiping Allah. They speak the Farsi language and they're sick of it. They're sick of the jihadists. They're sick of the, this death to everybody except for anyone who believes in Allah. They're, they're tired of it. They're sick of the ayatollahs and all of their decrees and all of these situations. And if they could find somebody else they could worship that would be the truth, they, they're interested. There are people in other places, and, and they're just, they've gone. I, I, I remember hearing a story about a man in Papua New Guinea. He was sitting there, and his little village was run by a witch doctor. And the witch doctor was, he was, everybody looked to him, and he was spooky, and he seemed to have spiritual help and all this other stuff. And he would curse people that did wrong, and he would bless people, and people would bring that. But one day, this young man saw the witch doctor abusing one of the little girls in the village. 
and it made him sick and it made him mad. He said, who is this guy? Something inside of his conscience said, that's not right. I don't care who you are. And he found his way. He had nothing to do. He was a young man in that village and an older witch doctor and all the things, and everybody was on his side. But he made his way out to the riverbank, and he looked into the heavens and he said, God, what I just saw makes me sick. And I don't know who this God is, and I think there's somebody else out there. But if you could show me who the real God is, I want to leave this witch doctor and his, his uh, voodoo and come to the real God. He didn't even know who he was talking to. And just, one, just a few weeks later, and you can read the story in the, uh, the New Tribes uh, storybook, and uh, two little New Tribe missionaries came down in little canoes and things of that nature and began to get entrance into that village and began to show them pictures of the God, the Creator God, that made everything and the blood sacrifice and the lamb and to the cross. And they walked him through that. And whenever it came time for him to accept Christ, he says, I know. I know this is the real God. And he began to explain to them, here's what happened to me. And I asked for God to send someone to the truth. And you came to see me. You know, I believe that there are people that are interested in the word of God. You know what I'm kind of sad about? There are Christians who are not interested in the word of God. There are Christians who had to scramble around this morning to find your Bible after it's been lonely for a whole week. You haven't read it. You haven't talked about it. And the Bible says the word of God is a, is a book that should be talked about. Amen. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate. It should be something we talk about. It should be something we think about. It should be something that we obey and we share with others. But I, I'm convinced today, and I want you to be convinced, that God has a people out there in the sphere of your influence, and mine too, that want to know the truth. And most of us know it in this room. And we need to share it. We need to talk about it. Every conversation you have with a stranger ought to be with the mindset, is this someone I could talk to about Jesus? Would they be, would they be receptive right now? There was a people there, and of course there was opposition. But there were people who said, can you come back next week? We want to know more about the word of God. The second thing I want you to notice that we can learn in 2022 from this story, not only are there people who are ready to hear the word of God, number two, there will always be opposition to contradict and to blaspheme. Just get used to it. When you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, when you share the word of God, you don't know whether to pucker or to duck. You don't know whether to hug or to hide. You don't know whether it's going to be embraced or it's going to be rebuffed. But I'll guarantee you there'll be one of those two. Some are glad to receive it, and some will contradict and blaspheme. And sometimes the more blasphemous and the more contradicting seem to be the louder voices. And sometimes the more prominent and the rich and the, and the religious sometimes have the most hardest opinion about that, and that was no different than here. So people are ready to receive the word of God. Number two, there will be opposition. There will be people who will oppose, and we find that in this passage of Scripture. Number three, I want you to notice this in this story, that we need to have confidence in the Word of God. We need to have confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that the reference of the Word of God in this quick passage, as, as you see the Apostle Paul in chapter 13, 
It says in verse number 42, And the Jews that were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these what? Words. Would you look down, if you would please, in verse number 44, at the conclusion, they came together to hear what? The word of God. And verse number 46, and then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and says it was necessary that the word of God. Would you look at verse 48? And then, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified what? Verse number 49, and the word of the Lord was published. Listen, I want you to have confidence in what the Bible says. You don't have to understand everything. When God speaks about the Bible, he says his ways are higher than our ways. And as the rain comes down from heaven, the snow comes down from heaven, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 10, it waters the earth and causes it to bring forth in bud and to bring seed for next year's sowing, and it brings food for this year's eating. So shall my word be. It comes down from heaven. And by the way, when it comes down, it doesn't land on the soil of our terra firma. It lands inside of our hearts. And it produces three things real quickly. You'll see it in Isaiah 55, verse number 12. Peace, joy, and song. You know, somebody who has a right relationship with the Word of God is going to have something. They're going to have peace on the inside. They're going to go forth with joy. And they won't mind godly music. They'll enjoy it. Some of you, some of you bless your little hearts, you stand there like you're tormented during the song service. But I see you in the middle of the week with ACDC t-shirts on. You're listening to something. Oh, you're bobbing your head and oh, yeah, you're listening to something. But a relationship with the Word of God will bring that. Hey, listen, there's something special about the Word of God. I want to give you three thoughts real quickly. A friend of mine, and some of you know him, his name is Daryl Reddick. Daryl Reddick uh, was, was raised in a home that did not know the gospel of Christ. And Daryl went to enroll in, a, in, a, in a, a secular college. It was Henry Ford Community College in Detroit. He grew up there. And he was in the registration line, and someone was giving out, had whole boxes of Bibles, and they were just giving every student who would take one at the registration line a New Testament. Daryl thought it was part of the registration. Okay, I'll take it. I don't have a Bible, so I'll do it. And he began reading. He read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts and Romans. He, ran, he read uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. He read Colossians and 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. And he got to 2 Timothy and he had enough. He walked up to a pastor on a Sunday night before church and said, I need to be saved. Can you show me how to be saved? And the pastor started, the, 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 the service started without the pastor. Pastor didn't come in for like 25 minutes later. People thought he might have fell off the planet or something. But he was leading Daryl to the Lord. The power of the word of God. There are other things that God did to bring Daryl to the Lord. One of my sweetest stories that I remember hearing, it was from the Gideons. In Chile, South America, they got the Bible in, in the Spanish language, and they went to the schools of Chile, and they began to give out New Testaments. One little girl got the Bible. Her dad was the supervisor for a mining company in Chile. He was a supervisor, and 
He came home from work, and she ran to him and said, I got a Bible. She goes, we don't need a Bible. We go to this church, and they teach us the Bible. We don't need one. I'll take it. It disappointed her, disheartened her, but he just stuck it in his pocket. The next day, he went off to work, and they had a problem in the mine. The mine had a problem, and down deep, and he normally never went down there. He stayed up in the offices and oversaw things, but... There was a problem, and he went down into the shaft and went down there to try to see the problem with a couple of his foremans. They went down there. When they went down there, the, the mine caved in, and uh, he and 28 other men were stuck inside the mine. It took them several days to dig and try to keep from hurting people, but when they got there, all 29 men had aspired because of uh, ventilation issues. They weren't able to breathe. As they brought their bodies out, they brought the 29 men out. They found that little New Testament. That little New Testament, on the back it says, here's how you can be saved. And it shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, if you got saved, sign right here. And that man signed right there on that thing. And they opened up the front fry leaf and 27 other men signed that they too had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Oh, the power of the Word of God. Oh, the importance. There was a man who didn't come to this pulpit. He came across the street in 1976. The theme of the pastor school was don't quit. His name was Bob Hughes. He was an air, in the Air Force. He went to the Philippines and saw the need of people getting saved, came back, went to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and then he and his wife went back to Cebu, Philippines. He got such a burden. At that time, there was a lot of animosity and a lot of hardship as they tried to spread the gospel from religious leaders of the day. But he thought to himself, no one has a Bible in the Philippines. And if Filipinos are going to go to hell, let them go to hell with a Bible in their hand. And he began to challenge and print hundreds and thousands of Bibles to get the Filipino a Bible in their hand. He came and checked out of a hospital bed in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Against medical advice, he got on an airplane and he flew here. He was a bag of bones, just skin and bones. He got a suit that was oversized for him. Brother Hiles allowed him to have a few minutes to stand behind a microphone and he challenged people. He said, I'm not going back to the Philippines. I'm going to die in just a few days. And he did die in just a few days. He said, would somebody else help the Filipino? If they're going to go to hell, let them go to hell with a Bible in their hand. Who would go back and tell them? Two beautiful couples, one the Heidenreich family, the other one Rick Martin. He'll be with us, we think, on February the 13th on a Sunday night. I'm looking forward to having him. They said, we'll go. And many people have seen what the Bible says about eternal life because of that. There are people who are ready to listen today. Don't miss the opportunity to tell them. You will have some opposition. Get used to it. It's going to happen. Where there's movement, there'll be friction. But the word of God has power.